Hey guys, welcome to the Bitcoin Fortress podcast, helping you increase your financial freedom. This is episode 68, recorded here on June 11th, 2023. This podcast is for entertainment only and is not investing advice, so please do your own homework. Lots of Bitcoin and crypto in the news this week, uh, with the SEC being quite busy. So we'll cover some of that. Um, again, mostly with a focus on Bitcoin. And uh, we'll start with the market update and outlook. And then finish up uh, by mentioning uh, my latest uh, substack. Okay, jumping right in. All three major stock market indexes book small gains for the week as investors await next week's inflation data and policy decisions on interest rates from the U.S. Federal Reserve and the European Central Bank. Economic data during the week gave some strength to the Fed pause narrative. The Institute for Supply Management's gauge of U.S. services activity nearly showed a stagnation for May, while factory orders for April rose less than expected. Moreover, initial jobless claims surged to their highest level since October 2021. The data pointed towards signs of cooling in the economy while also suggesting that cracks had begun to show in the highly resilient labor market. Markets currently are forecasting a 71% probability that the Fed will pause on its string of rate hikes. The S&P 500 exited bear market territory during the week by closing 20% above last year's October lows and gained 0.4% for its fourth consecutive positive week. The Nasdaq eked out a 0.1% advance, <clears throat> which was good enough for its seventh straight winning week, its longest streak since 2019, and the Dow Jones finished up 0.3%, booking back-to-back -back weekly gains. Market watchers were encouraged by the breadth of the recent rally, including small-cap stocks as the Russell 2000 rose 1.9% this week. Looking ahead, a huge week is setting up on the macroeconomic front, with the Federal Reserve and the European Central Bank both scheduled to decide on interest rates and update on monetary policy amid persistent inflation. The consensus view is that the ECB will lift interest rates by a quarter point and the Federal Reserve will stand pat. The big meetings will uh, arrive with market optimism ramping up in the early part of June. The recent rally has seen 10 of the 11 S&P 500 sectors push higher. However, a surprise from the central bank or the nail-biting inducing CPI and PPI reports could cool off bullish sentiment once again. All right, jumping into the news this week. Uh, this first article here is just kind of a recap of some of the uh, highlights of the week from Bitcoin.com. This was posted today. Articles entitled Binance, Coinbase, Robinhood, A Week of Crypto Crackdowns and Regulatory Fallout, uh, Week in Review. Uh, let's see, it starts out, seismic shifts have been occurring in crypto this past week with the United States Securities and Exchange Commission leaning remarkably further into what some call its regulation by enforcement approach, as the entity is now suing both Binance and Coinbase for securities law violations. In other news, crypto firm Robinhood has decided to delist multiple popular crypto assets in the wake of the SEC's latest barrage of red tape. And... Uh, those are the highlights. So um, first one here, Binance faces legal action by SEC for violating U.S. securities laws. The United States Securities and Exchange Commission took legal action against Binance, the largest cryptocurrency exchange globally, for violating U.S. securities laws. Gary Gensler, the chairman of the SEC, revealed that Binance is facing 13 charges related to these violations. And what I learned also is, what, uh, although many of the charges are the same between the uh, Binance and the Coinbase uh, lawsuits, uh, they've also asked for a temporary restraining order, which I understand is highly unusual and rarely granted. 
uh, to basically put Binance into receivership and uh, freeze all their assets. And this is because of uh, uh, the allegation of commingling of customer funds with uh, company funds. So um, quite a bit more serious, I think, uh, although both are existential threats probably to, at least in the U.S., to these um, exchanges. Uh, the next one here is Coinbase CEO responds to SEC lawsuit accusing crypto exchange of securities law violations. Uh, Coinbase CEO Brian Armstrong has responded to the lawsuit filed by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission against his cryptocurrency exchange. The securities regulator charged Coinbase with operating its crypto asset trading platform as an unregistered national securities exchange broker and clearing agency, as well as selling unregistered securities in connection with its staking as a service program. Uh, next is U.S. SEC identifies 12 crypto tokens as securities in Binance lawsuit. The United States Securities Exchange Commission has identified 12 crypto tokens as securities in a new lawsuit filed against Binance and its CEO, Changpeng Zhao. The securities regulator asserted that Binance platforms have made available for trading on them crypto assets that are offered and sold as investment contracts and thus are securities. And of course, in the Bitcoin space, we've been saying this for a long time, that uh, most, if not all, of the cryptocurrencies are securities and that the only real commodity is Bitcoin. Robinhood to delist Cardano, Solana, and Polygon amidst SEC regulatory pressure. Fintech and crypto firm Robinhood has announced the delisting of Cardano, Solana, and Polygon on June 27, 2023. This development comes after the publicly listed company revealed that it was actively reviewing its coin listings in the wake of recent U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission enforcement actions against Binance and Coinbase. And then finally, Economist discusses BRICS currency's prospect of becoming global currency. Economist Alexis Habia-Remye from the University of Johannesburg says that a proposed common BRICS currency, if used effectively and systematically for all trade transactions between BRICS nations, would alleviate the burden on these countries to finance the disproportionate advantage that the dollar enjoyed in the international monetary system. This one's uh, in particular is pretty interesting, um, so I'll probably um, dive back into that one a little bit more a little later uh, in the podcast. Uh, I just got done reading a Zero Hedge article by Jim Rickards that um, basically talked about the same thing and how it might actually be successful. Uh, this is, you know, basically a gold-backed. BRICS uh, currency that could be used for exchange amongst uh, those those countries that are part of that that uh, alliance. Okay, uh, moving on. Uh, next article here is from Coin Telegraph. This was posted today. The U.S. will find the right outcome for crypto eventually. Coinbase CEO. Uh, Brian Armstrong, the CEO of cryptocurrency exchange Coinbase, emphasized that regulating crypto isn't rocket science and is confident that the United States will achieve regulatory clarity, even if it takes a while. Armstrong sat down for an interview with the Wall Street Journal on June 11th, just days after the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission filed a lawsuit against Coinbase on June 6th. The SEC alleges that Coinbase has been operating a securities exchange, broker-dealership, and clearinghouse without registering with the commission. Armstrong addressed the lawsuit in the interview, explaining that he believes those reg reg registrations weren't required for Coinbase to operate. The assets that we do trade, those are commodities, so they don't require those registrations. We are trading on our exchange crypto commodities. Despite not claiming that Coinbase is a broker-dealer, Armstrong mentioned that the exchange had faced difficulties activating a license. We don't claim to be a broker-dealer. We have acquired a broker-dealer license that is still dormant because they won't allow us to activate it, he said. On regulation, Armstrong explained that it isn't rocket science and the U.S. will achieve the right outcome even if it takes a while. He highlighted <clears throat> that the SEC versus Coinbase lawsuit is important for the U.S. cryptocurrency industry as a whole and he hopes it will lead to more clarity and prevent the country from falling behind the rest of the world. 
Armstrong thinks that once there are clear and stable regulations regarding cryptocurrency in the U.S., it will encourage the return of crypto businesses to the country. We will see entrepreneurs who left the U.S. come back. They'll say we won't be attacked randomly or have incredibly high legal bills at any given moment. On April 11th, Cointelegraph reported that the share of global crypto developers in the U.S. declined by 26% from 2018 to 2022, citing little regulatory clarity as a significant factor and as a result, America's edge may be slipping. Armstrong highlighted key regulation points that he believes need to be clarified, including clear boundaries between the two major United States financial regulators, the SEC and the Commodities Futures Trading Commission. He pointed out that while other countries, such as the United Kingdom, have one financial regulator, the U.S. is currently seeing a turf war between two regulatory bodies. He believes that several fundamental regulations can simply be transferred from traditional finance, such as basic consumer protection, financial statement audit requirements, and procedures for both anti-money laundering and know-your-customer. Armstrong reiterated that there is currently no clear rule book for cryptocurrency regulations in the U.S., and despite continuously asking the SEC for more clarity, Coinbase couldn't, quote, get any feedback. This comes after Armstrong responded to the SEC lawsuit against Coinbase over Twitter on June 7th, saying he's proud to represent the industry in court and get some clarity around crypto rules. And uh, I guess uh, we'll see how this how this plays out. But uh, one thing that is interesting is that uh, nowhere does Bitcoin come up in any of these filings and uh there's been no action taken against any of any of the companies that allow you to buy Bitcoin only and uh, either custody it with them or self-custody. So, um, so long as that's the case in the United States, that's a good thing. Um, and if that turns out to be another vector of attack, then, um, you know, if you're in the U.S., you'll have to figure out other ways to uh, acquire Bitcoin, I suppose. Uh, but right now it's not looking too bad, uh, if you're Bitcoin only. Next article here is, uh, kind of on the legislative front, U.S. Senator revamps efforts for crypto regulations amid SEC lawsuits. This was from, uh, Cointelegraph and this was posted today. United States Senator Cynthia Lummis has said her efforts to push for a positive crypto regulatory framework are still in motion with the rapid evolution and increasing adoption of cryptocurrencies adding to its urgency. Lummis received praise from crypto Twitter as she shared her commitment to developing a regulatory framework to facilitate digital asset ownership and trading within the United States. Her tweet serves as a reminder of the anticipated bill that was supposed to be released in April. In collaboration with Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, Lummis had been has been engaged in a bipartisan initiative to propose extensive regulations for cryptocurrencies. The upcoming legislative effort is anticipated to make significant progress in Congress this year, providing a crucial framework for the rapidly evolving digital asset in- industry. In her tweet, the lawmaker highlighted her party's success in preventing the inclusion of a 30% digital asset mining tax in the recent debt ceiling deal. Lummis emphasized that the battle to establish a transparent regulatory framework for the crypto industry is far from concluded. The proposed bill aims to achieve several objectives, including clearly defining cryptocurrencies and potentially removing the security designation. By establishing a precise classification for tokens, the legislation seeks to create a stable framework for businesses and investors in the crypto industry. The effort will address regulatory uncertainties, stimulate innovation, and promote responsible growth within the sector. Gillibrand has stressed the significance of a meticulous approach. The revised bill will provide explicit guidelines on the procedures necessary to to acquire tokens, establishing a comprehensive framework that encompasses various aspects of tokenization. The proposed legislation will supposedly impose a universal ban on algorithmic stablecoins. However, further deliberations are necessary to determine the entities authorized to issue stablecoins and the requirements for maintaining U.S. dollar reserves. 
Uh, this next article is kind of interesting, also on the regula regulation front. Uh, this is from Coindesk, and this was posted on June 10th. Binance's, Binance Nigeria's unit ordered to halt illegal operations by securities watchdog. So if you don't know, Nigeria has been trying to implement a central bank digital currency and no doubt has been battling with people's desire to own cryptocurrency uh, over a bit and Bitcoin and stable coins and things of that nature uh, over the um, CBDC. So this this probably if you connect the dots, has is not too big of a surprise. Anyway, the art article goes on. Crypto exchange Binance's Nigerian unit was ordered to immediately halt operations in the country by the local Securities and Exchange Commission, according to a Friday circular. Binance Nigeria Limited is neither registered nor regulated by the commission, and its operations in Nigeria are therefore illegal, the notice said. Nigeria's order follows a lawsuit by the United States Securities Watchdog last Monday, against the largest global crypto exchange by market cap, alleging it failed to register as a broker or exchange and that it sold, offered unregistered securities to the general public. Although Nigeria's SEC said had previously said it viewed all crypto assets to be securities by default, this appears to be the first action taken by the regulator against a major exchange platform. In May, Bloomberg reported the country's SEC was processing crypto firms' applications for registration on a trial basis, but would not officially start registering them until it had reached an agreement with the country's central bank. Banks in the country are prohibited from offering services to crypto platforms. The Commission shall provide updates on further regulatory actions with respect to the activities of Binance Nigeria Limited and other similar platforms and shall work with other regulators in Nigeria to provide Further guidance in this matter, Friday's order said. Uh, next is uh, from Cointelegraph. This was posted on June 9th, entitled, U.S. Justice Department charges two men in Mt. Gox hack. So this was kind of an interesting one. Uh, article uh, starts out here. The United States Justice Department has unsealed charges against two men it says are responsible for the $400 million hack of former Bitcoin exchange, Mt. Cox, which those of you don't know that that Bitcoin is still, what's left of the Bitcoin that wasn't stolen, which is a lot, is still sitting there. It's still hung up in this, uh, if you call it a bankruptcy proceeding. And, um, and uh, whoever owns those coins is, you know, doesn't have access to them won't, until all this stuff gets resolved. It says, according to the announcement, 43-year-old Alexei Bilyuchenko and 29-year-old Alexander Werner allegedly conspired to launder 647,000 Bitcoin they stole from Mt. Gox through a hack of the exchange's servers. Bilyuchenko is also charged with conspiring to operate the BTCE exchange, which was shut down in 2017 due to money laundering allegations. Prosecutors claim the hack occurred over a period of more than a year from September 2011 until at least May 2014. During this time, the two men allegedly gained control of a Mt. Gox server located in Japan. They then proceeded to periodically make transfers from BT of BTC from Mt. Gox to themselves until the vast majority of customers' BTC had been drained from the exchange, prosecutors say. After gaining possession of the Bitcoin, the men attempted to sell it through another exchange they controlled. To facilitate these sales, the two men entered into an allegedly fraudulent contract with a Bitcoin brokerage firm located in New York. The brokerage firm purchased the stolen Bitcoin from the hackers by sending wire transfers to various offshore bank accounts, prosecutors argue. The Bitcoin was left in the possession of the alleged hackers exchange, but was credited to the brokerage firm's account within it. The announcement does not say whether BTCE was the exchange used in the fraudulent deal, instead referring to the exchange used as Exchange One. Prosecutors claim that the pair received approximately $6.6 million from the deal. Mt. Gox was one of the first major cryptocurrency exchanges. It filed for bankruptcy in March 2014 after claiming the hack pushed it into insolvency. BTCE operated from 2011 to 2017. In 2017, the FBI liquidated some of the exchange's cryptocurrency, claiming that the funds were earned through money laundering. 
BTCE's founder, Alexander Vinnick, is currently serving prison time for his connection with the exchange. In May, Vinnick's attorney attempted to get him released as part of a prisoner swap with the Russian Federation. So Mt. Gox is still hanging around. And what's interesting is uh, even though a lot of people learned back then the lesson that you don't want to keep your coins on an exchange, people continue to learn that lesson um, again and again. Um, you know, most recently with FTX, and now you know, there's a considerable amount of concern over what's going to happen to Binance and, and even Coinbase. And so... Um, people with Bitcoin on those exchanges probably ought to move it into cold storage. Uh, next article here is uh, kind of an interesting topic, uh, Bitcoin dominance, which is really the percentage of the crypto market cap that uh, Bitcoin comprises. It's been a topic a lot um, on Twitter this week. Um, particularly the last couple of days because uh, all the altcoins are selling off in reaction to, um, you know, delisting, potential delisting, potential takedown of the, uh, the exchanges in the U.S. Um, by the SEC. Uh, article is in, and this is from Coindesk. Uh, this was posted on June 10th. Bitcoin dominance surges, accounting for nearly half of the $1 trillion crypto market amid altcoin sell-off. Bitcoin's dominance rate or share of the total crypto market capitalization rose early Saturday, nearing the 50% mark for the first time since April 2021, according to data tracked by charting platform TradingView. The uptick came as alternative cryptocurrencies or altcoins like Solana, Matic, Doge, and ADA suffered double-digit losses amid rumors of a $2 billion portfolio dump by a proprietary trading firm. Meanwhile, Bitcoin lost just 3%. The relative outperformance perhaps stemmed from increased haven demand, investors moving money out of altcoins and into Bitcoin, the world's largest and most liquid cryptocurrency. Bitcoin's relative dominance mooning amid altcoin market sell-off, flight to majors, first stage before crashes occur, pseudonymous crypto trader and analyst at 52k screw tweeted. Bitcoin's dominance rate has been steadily rising since November and surged uh, during the market, the March U.S. banking crisis. The indicator now looks to be breaking out of its three-year oscillation pattern, a sign of continued Bitcoin outperformance in months ahead, according to Decentral Park Capital's Lewis Harland. Tether, the world's largest dollar-pegged stablecoin, also likely benefited from Saturday's risk aversion. Its dominance rate jumped to 5% to 7.82%, the highest since January 8th, trading view data showed. Uh, so, so again, um, despite all the turmoil caused by the SEC actions and, um, and, and the ripple effects of that, um, Bitcoin continues to hold its value really well relative to the other assets in the space that are crashing. And, uh, and, the, and that's what's driving the dominance rate. Also, the um, hash rate continues to uh, grow and uh, continues to be very strong, which which means the network security uh, keeps getting better and better. <clears throat> and of course, um, uh, despite all of what's happening, the how Bitcoin operates day in and day out hasn't changed, and um, the value proposition really hasn't changed either. One could argue that perhaps the outcome of some of this is that it could slow down Bitcoin's adoption rate. Uh, that's certainly reasonable. Um, uh, but uh, and while the price may have suffered in the short term, uh, to, to most people that are Bitcoiners and you know hodlers, this is just an opportunity to get more cheap coins, frankly, um, because the uh, the long term uh, outlook just really hasn't changed fundamentally. Um, so anyway, moving on. Uh, next article we're going to cover is from Bitcoin.com. And again, I mentioned this earlier. Uh, 
<clears throat> this is, uh, let's see, it was just posted, uh, I think, five days ago. Article entitled, Economist Discusses BRICS Currency's Prospect of Becoming Global Currency. And, of course, there's been a lot of talk about this and about the death of the dollar and and certainly, you know, um, a lot in the mainstream media even, which, which, you know, you always have to wonder when that starts showing up, if that's even really true. But, um, and certainly two sides to the argument, some people saying it's, uh, it will happen eventually because it always happens to fiat currencies. They go through a cycle of uh, ascendance and decline and ultimately are replaced by something else. And I think, um, you know, Ray Dalio talks about that and, and uh, many others, you know. And then there's also uh, the notion of, uh, well, it's happening right now. And, uh, you know, so, um, you know, it, it seems like um, dollar dominance is destined to decline eventually, but uh, but you know the, the the real argument is 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 it going to be uh, sooner rather than later, and um, you know what is going to take its place, and and you know when any time as people talk about alternative currencies like the yuan or or the ruble, you know people laugh, but when you talk about a BRICS currency, and when you talk about uh, something that's gold-backed that could be attractive, that could be converted into bonds, that could be purchased by, you know, individuals um, looking for a a better store value, let's say, than their local currency, um, other than say Bitcoin or stable coins or whatever. Um, you know, it's got some potential. So anyway, diving into this, um, economist Alexis Hobby Remier discusses this, discussed the challenges a common BRICS currency could pose to the U.S. dollar's global reserve currency status in an interview with Putnik, published Saturday. Hobby Remier is a senior researcher who works for the South African Research Chair in Industrial Development at the University of Johannesburg. South Africa. He holds a PhD in economics and political studies of technical change from the United Nations University Maastricht University. Citing the disproportionate advantage that the dollar enjoyed in the international monetary system, the economist described this exorbitant privilege ensures that other countries end up financing the U.S. deficit because the U.S. Federal Reserve can simply print money while other countries have to produce goods and services to have access to the dollars. There is an increasing trend among countries to reduce their reliance on the U.S. dollar and instead prioritize the use of their national currencies for trade settlements. One notable initiative in this regard is being undertaken by the BRICS countries, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. The economic bloc is considering a proposal to establish a shared currency that would decrease member countries' dependence on the U.S. dollar. Commenting on the challenges a common BRICS currency could pose to the U.S. dollar, Habi Aremye detailed, in introducing a new currency, if it were used to be used effectively and systematically for all trade transactions between BRICS countries, would alleviate the burden on these countries to finance the exorbitant privilege. Because of the extraterritoriality of U.S. law for all parts of the world where the U.S. dollar is used, Using a different currency would also enable these countries to avoid the arbitrary imposition of U.S. laws on their territories, he continued. The economist noted that the BRICS countries' economic power has already surpassed that of the group of seven G7 countries in terms of purchasing power parity. He opined, in terms of economic weight, the BRICS currency has a real prospect of becoming a global currency if members commit to increasing trade exchange between themselves. In terms of economic output, BRICS nations have the potential of producing most commodities and manufactured products needed in their international trade, he added. However, the economist cautioned that as long as each individual country continues privileging its trade exchanges with the U.S. or its monetary allies for historical or political reasons, the BRICS currency will only remain an empty rhetoric. Javier Remier clarified that creating a new currency for BRICS countries would require political will from the leaders of these countries and enough trade between them to make the currency economically viable. 
It is not enough to want to wean oneself from the dollar if the trade flows between the BRICS members or their immediate allies are not enough to support the new currency, he stressed. Moreover, the economist pointed out that many BRICS countries currently trade more with the U.S. or with other countries that, are, that use the U.S. dollar than they do with each other, emphasizing that the strength of a new BRICS currency would depend on these countries trading more with each other. Uh, so, <clears throat> very interesting development. Like I mentioned earlier, there was also an article in, in uh, Zero Hedge uh, today um, that uh, basically spelled out kind of a gold-backed, you know, currency. Um, and, um, you know, we'll see. It's always like it'll be interesting to see what the market says if it, uh, if it actually gets... Uh, taken up or if people still prefer the dollar just because it's it has such a huge network um effect across the whole world and and uh it's really the the easiest and, and the best uh, way to to transact across countries and and has been for many many years all right next article there's actually three i wanted to go over um from bitcoin magazine um this week uh, first one was published on June 8th, entitled BitGo announces preliminary deal to acquire Prime Trust custody firm. So this is kind of interesting to Bitcoiners because Prime Trust is uh, was used as a custodian by uh, some of the Bitcoin only companies to it, where uh, you know individuals or companies whoever you know has an account with them uh, if they wanted to keep their Bitcoin um, at the company versus taking uh, custody right away. <clears throat> Bitco Holdings has announced its intention to acquire PrimeCore Technologies, Inc., the parent company of Prime Trust, according to a blog posted by Bitco. The acquisition aims to bring business continuity, long-term stability, and regulated secure services to Prime Trust clients. Of course, the rumor was that Prime Trust was having trouble um, and so, you know, rather than have them go under, I guess they got acquired. Prime Trust expressed excitement about the potential partnership. Jor Law, Prime Trust interim CEO and president, said he believes the combination of Prime Trust and Bitco will be a game changer for the industry, stating no other company will have the breadth of product and services nor depth of experience that this combined company would have. We're excited to offer our world-class infrastructure within a broader ecosystem and revolutionize the future of crypto. The blog posting listed the benefits the acquisition could hold for both companies. First, it was noted that Prime Trust Nevada Trust Company will join Bitco's global network of regulated trust companies, which already includes entities in South Dakota, New York, Germany, and Switzerland. In addition, the expansion would enhance Bitco's presence and regulatory reach. Furthermore, the blog described how Prime Trust's FinTech API infrastructure and exchange network will reinforce Bitco's existing services, including custody, liquidity settlement, and compliance capabilities. Mike Belshay, CEO and co-founder of Bitco, views the acquisition as a milestone transaction that will contribute to a more secure and sustainable future for the digital asset landscape. Belshay stated, with the expected acquisition of Prime Trust, Bitco is well positioned to enhance its best-in-class trusted solutions and to service the combined customer base. The deal is still subject to regulatory approval and further details regarding the transaction are yet to be disclosed. Just recently, Bitcoin-only exchanges Strike and Swan both announced that they would be moving away from custody through Prime Trust. Strike announced that it will be utilizing its own custody services, while Swan is moving to Fortress Trust and Bitco. Fortress Trust being founded by the former founder of Prime Trust, Scott Purcell. The acquisition announcement did not address... Uh, sorry, got a little problem with the recording there. So Stri again, Strike announced that it'll be utilizing its own custom custody services while Swan is moving to Fortress Trust and Bitco, Fortress Trust being founded by the former founder of Prime Trust, Scott Purcell. The acquisition announcement did not address or confirm rumors that Prime Trust is facing insolvency, which has been the center of speculation on Bitcoin Twitter. Next article was kind of interesting from uh, for those of you that are fans of uh, freedom and privacy. 
uh, Satoshi Labs introduces Vexel Foundation with KYC-free P2P Bitcoin app and financial tyranny index. Uh, this is, again, from Bitcoin Magazine, published on June 8th. Satoshi Labs, the creator of the Trezor hardware wallet, has announced the launch of the Vexel Foundation at the BTC Prague conference. A press release shared with Bitcoin Magazine said, the foundation aims to restore financial power to individuals and promote personal and financial freedoms. It takes a critical stance against KYC practices and, according to the release, believes that technology should empower individuals rather than control them. Couldn't agree more. The Vexel Foundation also introduced the Financial Tyranny Index, which measures the extent of statist interventions in the financial space. Initial findings, according to Vexel, reveal high levels of financial state control in Western democracies such as France, Belgium, Canada, and the Netherlands. Not surprising. The Vexel Foundation's mission is supported by its mobile app Vexel, which provides a private and secure platform for peer-to-peer -peer Bitcoin transactions without KYC or institutional interference. Leah Petrasova, CEO of Vexel.it, describes it as more than just an application, stating, it's the embodiment of our vision for financial autonomy. The board of the Vexel Foundation consists of individuals with diverse experiences, including Leah Petrasova, Joseph Tetek, and Grafton Clark, as well as Satoshi Labs co-founders Merrick Palatinus and Pavel Rusnak. The release stated that they are dedicated to challenging the centralization of control and directing power back to individuals. The foundation said it welcomes collaboration with organizations and individuals who share the vision of a free and open financial world with donations and guidance from Satoshi Labs. The Vexel Foundation is aimed at inspiring a shift in the perception and interaction with digital finance. Merrick Slush Palatinus emphasized the need to re revisit the principles on which Bitcoin was founded, stating the Vexel Foundation is our step towards that change. <clears throat> so, um, and there's a link to the Vexel Foundation in the article. And again, as always, I'll post all these articles in the show notes so you can read it for yourself. But uh, very excited about this. Um, really looking forward to seeing how that uh, plays out in the future. And uh, the final article I want to go over uh, is kind of interesting in, in that it uh, talks about... <clears throat> um, pension plans and what they should be, you know, how they can use Bitcoin to uh, insulate uh, themselves from um, some of the financial uh, turmoil that we are likely to see in the coming years. So this is, uh, again, posted on, uh, you know, on Bitcoin Magazine, June 8th. Uh, Bitcoin can save California's largest pension fund from its existential problems. This is an opinion editorial by Dom Bay, the former Santa Monica Firefighters, Firefighters Union president. Um, and he's also someone I follow on Twitter. actually heard him on a podcast not too long ago. Um, very interesting guy. And um, the, uh, then the author's note, pension issues have been in and out of the media for decades. My own background and perspective on these issues come from over a decade of experience as an executive board member for my local firefighters union. Additionally, I sat on my municipality's pension advisory board where I learned the fundamentals of pension funds. This is a complex issue, but one worthy of our time and attention due to its significance in the global financial system and the lives of our workforce. <clears throat> what if I told you that the largest pension fund in the United States could be rescued by Bitcoin? Furthermore, what if it could happen in a way that maintains 100% of its primary portfolio investments in traditional markets. I know for those of those who don't Bitcoin, many of you will stop here, but I urge you to read on a bit further. And for those who do Bitcoin, there is likely a pension near you facing a similar dilemma. By incorporating Bitcoin into the California Employers Pension Prefunding Trust Fund, California could consider could continue to deliver on its commitment to its workforce and retirees without having to make employees work longer years while paying more into the California Public Employees Retirement System Fund. Additionally, if California doesn't want to do this, municipalities could and should do it on their own, regardless of funding by what I call a Bitcoin Municipal Employers Pension Prefunding Trust. 
In doing so, cities and public agencies could escape the redundant fate of unfunded liability payments. Why Bitcoin? Unlike other assets, Bitcoin has no risk of liquidation, as explained by Mickey Koss in a recent article, Pension Funds Must Adopt Bitcoin or Risk Insolvency. Bitcoin does not require leverage. Instead of making risky bets, perpetuate the culture of moral hazard and socialized losses, pension funds can use Bitcoin as an asymmetric opportunity in order to bolster their returns. The CalPERS Crisis with a total value of roughly $440 billion, CalPERS is the largest defined benefit public pension in the nation and fifth largest public pension in the world as of 2022. Holding in its hands the financial fates of public employees, municipalities, and public agencies in California, CalPERS' main priority is to grow and maintain its fund. By doing so, it can deliver on its commitments, which are payments to retirees. The funded status of any pension takes the form of a percentage. It is the total estimated value of the assets on hand as a percentage of the total obligation to pay retirees its liabilities. As reported most recently in June 2022, CalPERS holds an estimated funded status of 72%. This is below the traditionally accepted healthy funded status, which is at least 80%. Most simply, this means that the fund currently has the ability to liquidate its assets to obtain 72% of the funds needed to make all of its payments. Thus, 28% of its overall liabilities are unfunded. California has a larger unfunded pension liability than any other state in the nation. A report released earlier last year by the American Legislative Council found that unfunded pension liabilities nationwide have climbed to $8.28 trillion, or just under $25,000 for every man, woman, and child in the United States with California holding the nation's largest public pension debt load. CalPERS unfunded pension liability comes on the tail end of a major pension reform in 2013. The reform extended the retirement age of new employees and increased employee contributions into the fund. Additionally, the fund benefited from a massive injection of liquidity in the past few years. Governor Newsom's 2022 to 2023 governor's budget summary noted that from 2017 18 through 2021-2022, the state has made supplemental pension payments of $12.7 billion to CalPERS and CalSTRS, the California State Teachers Retirement System, with the goal of improving the funded status of both systems and reducing the state's long-term retirement obligations. Despite both of these efforts over the past decade, a sustained improvement in CalPERS funded status has not arrived. On the eve of the next reporting period, all eyes are on the funded status and unfunded liability report that should arrive in June 2023, fingers crossed. An unfunded liability, quite simply, is the amount owed to keep a pension fund on pace to meet its obligations. Unfunded liabilities lead to extra payments on top of regular annually required payments to the pension made by municipalities and public agencies. If you're scratching your head at this point, that's normal. Pensions are complex with tons of variables, including the number of active employees, retirees, predicted life expectancy of retirees, cost of living adjustments, portfolio performance, and more. Unfunded liabilities don't just appear. They force CalPERS to request additional payments from municipalities and public agencies on top of the normal payments made by those cities and agencies, as well as the contributions made by employees into the pension fund. These extra payments take a significant toll on cities. If unpaid, they accrue interest and become looming burdens. I learned this after sitting on the Pension Advisory Committee in my own city, a city with a long tradition of having an incredible public workforce. High-quality employees are so important. While this view is widely accepted in the private sector, it isn't always so in the public sector, but some of the best-run and highest-revenue-earning cities understand and prioritize this. A dedicated public workforce is a tremendous benefit for the citizens of a city and visitors who receive city services. In the field of emergency services, that level of service can be the difference between life and death. When municipalities have, have to pay unfunded liabilities on top of their normal pension payments, they either have to be extremely well off or take away services from somewhere else to make the payments. But luckily, we have an opportunity to escape this dilemma. Enter Bitcoin. Bitcoin is an innovation with increasing global adoption, use, and value. While the price has fluctuated greatly since its inception, Bitcoin's network and community trajectory has outpaced many comparable technological revolutions in their early years. 
That includes the internet, cell phones, and other major technological breakthroughs. Additionally, as an asset, when zooming out, its performance trends up. Despite its upward trajectory, Bitcoin is still new and therefore turbulent and constantly adapting. It also has yet to be clearly defined by the legacy financial system and regulatory agencies providing barriers to entry. CalPERS could add Bitcoin to its balance sheets, but an easier, more realistic course of action would be to utilize a tool it already created, the CEPPT. The CEPPT is a separate Section 115 trust fund dedicated to pre-funding employer contributions to defined benefit pension systems for eligible California public agencies. Think of it as a side fund to cover the shortfalls of the main fund. The flaw with the current non-Bitcoin CEPPT is that the fund is based on the same system that brought about the need for the new side fund to begin with. Eventually, that fund will succumb to the same structural vulnerabilities as the CalPERS main pension portfolio, and then what? A pre-pre-funding trust to pay the pre-funding trust? CalPERS CEPPT webpage says that since its inception, more than 75 California public employers are participating. My recommendation, pivot, or if you are an elected city official, reconsider the strategy. Instead, establish a Bitcoin MEPPT. The long-term returns of Bitcoin represent the only asset class that can fill the holes currently unfillable in the CalPERS pension fund. The cities that implement this will find themselves the beneficiaries of a healthy workforce and financial stability. They will bypass the painful dilemma of cutting key services to taxpayers in order to pay endless unfunded liabilities. They can avoid downgrading their workforce to the point that they are unable to recruit and retain high-quality personnel. With the Bitcoin CEPPT or MEPPT, public employers, cities, employees, and CalPERS can safely enter the world of Bitcoin without moving funds out of its portfolio, which we know is very difficult. A Bitcoin CEPPT run by the state could free California from its value-based investment dichotomy, that dichotomy being a state that is simultaneously funds and prioritizes renewable energy while condemning yet financially supporting fossil fuels and big oil through its roughly $42 billion investment. The largest public fund investor of fossil fuels in the U.S. is CalPERS. It truly has one foot into the future while propping up the past. A Bitcoin CEPPT could also include infrastructure components. A potential structure could allow California to further tap its abundant and steady renewable energy providing Bitcoin miners an opportunity to become even more climate-friendly than they already are. In fact, the majority of Bitcoin mining captures either wasted energy sources or renewable energy. Bitcoin miners that have proven useful as a grid-balancing partner could take the place of household energy consumers in California during times when the power is often shut off, such as during its frequent red flag warning fire weather days. During these times, Southern California Edison is forced to balance the grid and shut off power to people's homes. In these ways, and many more unmentioned ones, Bitcoin is a far better partner for California's renewable energy goals than the big oil and fossil fuel industry, currently capturing $42 billion or nearly 10% of CalPERS invested money. For other states with similar issues, there are many exciting ways in which a Bitcoin CEPPT or MEPPT could be configured. There's even a tool called Nakamoto Portfolio, which was developed by Rafael Zaguri, the CIO of Swan Financial. This tool allows funds to explore different configurations of how Bitcoin could positively affect their portfolios based on past and predicted performances. Despite its volatility, many legacy financial institutions predict the long-term value of Bitcoin will continue to rise. Fidelity has even called for one Bitcoin to be valued by, at $1 million by 2038. That's conservative, among some other long-term predictions. Many have compared Bitcoin to Apple, However, it is much more than Apple. Apple changed the way in which the world interacts with technology. Bitcoin is simply going to change the world, and for the better, and in ways we have yet to imagine. In the likely event that Bitcoin is here to stay, this is a vehicle in which CalPERS can responsibly and slowly enter into the world of Bitcoin. Who knows? Perhaps a Bitcoin CEPPT could prove worthy of primary portfolio contributions to a point where it takes on a greater portion of CalPERS funds. I'd like to see both ride off together into the California sunset, the CalPERS Fund and Bitcoin CEPPT giving California options to invest in ways truer to its core values while supporting a vibrant and committed workforce. To the cities and agencies who scoff at the idea of a Bitcoin CEPPT or MEPPT, 
I ask you an important question. If not Bitcoin, then what's the plan to avoid bankruptcy or a declining workforce in your city due to runaway unfunded liabilities? To the unions and workers, how much longer are you willing to work and for how much less money until we become more involved in the oversight of our own pension funds? And to CalPERS and the California legislator, if you have a fiduciary, you have a fiduciary obligation to those workers who built our state to protect their funds and futures. Without another plan, cities, public employers, and states owe it to the taxpayers and employees to explore Bitcoin and its promising future. I'm eager and happy to work with any union, city, or elected official in the state to explore this as an option at no cost. Why? Because I care about workers. As a firefighter and union leader, I've worked alongside a committed and amazing workforce, and I believe that when humans commit their most precious assets to building something for their cities and states, they deserve the retirement that was promised on sign-up day. So a really great piece by Dom, and um, you know, certainly uh, Bitcoin could be uh, very useful for shoring up the, uh, the public pension plans, but it will require uh, more open-mindedness um, on the part of not only the pension administrators, but legislators and, and those that are in charge and hopefully um, the educational process will uh, will open the door for that. I also uh, want to finish up, just uh, highlight um, this week's post on Substack. Uh, it's entitled Fedimint, Private Bitcoin Banking for Everyone. Uh, it's just a, an interesting article on, on Fedimint, which is a modular open source protocol for custodying and transacting Bitcoin in a community context. So really uh, useful for people who don't want to hold their keys, uh, but are willing to accept, um, you know, uh, some trade-offs uh, by trusting uh, a group of people to manage uh, their funds versus self-custodying. <clears throat> Certainly controversial. Uh, already have a negative comment, <laughs> uh, but uh, you know it's it's uh, it's an interesting uh, experiment. It might not really work in the U.S., but uh, certainly globally, it could be very beneficial. Um, and so, uh, anyway, check it out. And uh, that about wraps it up for the week. So um, I. Uh, Thank you for listening this week to the podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please like and leave a comment. Also, don't forget to subscribe uh, on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. You can follow my Substack at bitcoinfortress.substack.com. Um, you can also follow me on Twitter. My handle's at Nick Reichert. Um, and also on the podcast apps, if, uh, if you don't mind listening on Fountain, you can earn Bitcoin and you can support the show by sending me sats on the app. Uh, and that's it. I will talk to you all next week. Bye-bye.